Well, we want to welcome everyone here today. Thank you for being with us, especially want to welcome those that are watching online also. And especially, 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 we want to welcome all you mothers. So all you uh, mothers, we want to just give you our appreciation. So thank you for being highly invested. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you. Some of you might be wondering uh, where our lead pastor, Chad, is today. Well, yesterday he received his master's degree from Liberty University in theology. And I think we got a picture coming up of Chad here. Yeah, that rocks. That's cool. He doesn't look too bad in red. That's all right. Uh, I sent him a text yesterday. Here's what I said. Congratulations on the graduation. You are a rare and persevering man. You are finishing well. I'm proud to be your friend and teammate. Way to go, Chad Allen. Yay, Jesus. What a glorious future you have for kingdom building. I wish I could be there with you. Savor every minute of this accomplishment. You deserve innumerable high fives and pats on the back. Glory to God in the highest. So uh, I think that cost me five bucks to send. Um, <laughs> kind of long. <laughs> Uh, but then I asked him, I said, hey, is there anything you want to say to us today? And here's what he texted back. Please let all the moms know. I hope they experience tremendous appreciation and honor on this special day. The days may be long, but the years are fast. So enjoy the blessing of motherhood. It's an incredible gift from God. And then he says, and if it feels appropriate, let everyone know I feel greatly blessed by all the expressed encouragement and support from this weekend when I graduated this indeed is a weekend of great joy and significance to my family and encourage them to finish strong. So anyway, I just love that. So that's quite an accomplishment. I mean, he's been doing some burning a lot of midnight oil, trying to uh, take care of us as a congregation and also uh, finish this degree. And so congratulations to Chad Allen. Now we're in our series here, uh, Life Houses, and we're in the third week of this series. And this is our way to seek to live out one of the best known commands in all the Bible, which is to Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so we're saying that to be a life house, you need to live out three commitments, prayer, care, and share. And in fact, we put together a tool for you. There's a booklet that we've passed away. We encourage, uh, passed out, passed away? The booklet passed away. Anyway, we, um, we passed out this booklet a few weeks ago. And if you don't have one, get one. And if you have one, you have been using it, start using it. There's a lot of great information in there. And we're so encouraged that so many of you are responding. Uh, let me just read what one of you said uh, this week about uh, your experience. I, I was out in the yard with my puppy. I was rushed, rushing around trying to get stuff done and trying to get the dog back in the house my other neighbor and her daughter rode by on their bikes, and in my heart I was saying, please don't stop. I don't have time to chat. How about that for being a good neighbor? Um, <laughs> the Holy Spirit gently tugged at my heart and reminded me to be ready for any opportunity. I waved and asked her how her day was. She told her daughter to go home and began to tell me how frustrated she is with life circumstances. As I battled my own mental to-do list, I silently prayed that God would take care of things so I could genuinely listen to my neighbor. We talked, I listened a lot, shared with her similar experiences and prayed for her. She told me how thankful she was that I listened, that since she's with kids all day, no one listens to her. And I got to invite her to CBC Sports Camp. It's nothing dramatic or life-changing, but I'm doing my best to be Christ's hands, feet, and heart. That's just cool. 
That's just cool. Thank you, whoever you are, for for doing that. Uh, We are not in our neighborhoods by accident. You know, what if we did more than just wave? What if we asked, how can I help create real neighborhood here? And Chad has asked us actually to not make this a project. He says, this needs to be a lifestyle. This needs to be the way we just go about our lives. And uh, again, many people here at CVC are kind of all in on this. Let me just share with you another quick story. My neighbor and I share love for the same dog breed. Maybe to be a life house, you have to have a dog. I don't know. As this sparked a conversation, we began to run four miles each Saturday morning. I don't know if I want to be that kind of a life house, but... (laughs) As we run and talk, I get to listen to her life struggles and successes, and inevitably she asks about my life. I I naturally lean into my job, my husband, and how much I enjoy the peace of mind that I get from my church, and I get to share where my foundation is for my life and my family and my character. And she said to me the other day, I've never heard anyone speak so practically and so glowingly about their church and marriage. The story to be continued. I mean, who knows where that story is going to end? I'm just little things like that. So as we wrestle with this whole concept of what it means to be a life house, we find ourselves last week in Luke chapter 10, and we're going to finish that story this week. So open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. And by the way, we, we give away Bibles, and if you don't have one, you can pick one up in the foyer. And if you're online and you want to email us, we'll be glad to try to help you get a Bible too. And if you have one of these from our previous week, it's on page 720. So uh, Luke 10 last week, Luke 10 here today, and what we're doing is we're jumping right into a conversation between Jesus and a lawyer. Now this is not a secular lawyer, this is a religious lawyer in Jesus' day. This is a guy who knows all 613 commandments in the Old Testament, and this is a guy who tries to help everybody apply all of those to their lives every day. So he is thinking, if you're going to you know, be right with God, then you got to follow all the rules and all the regulations of the Bible. you got to follow the do's and don'ts of the Bible. This is the guy that sees somebody smiling and having a good time at church and says, there must be some sin lurking in your life somewhere. So for this guy, it's like, woe to you if you break a Bible law. So this is like a, a seminary professor guy, a big-time Bible study leader, or a blogger on the Bible. And he, and he says, I'm going to test Jesus. Now, he's probably wanting to expose Jesus as some kind of a bad spiritual leader, uh, some kind of a false teacher. He's, he wants to tell everybody, hey, you, know, you don't want to go to that guy's church. You don't want to go to Jesus' church. Because, yeah, he's got a crowd, but why does he have a crowd? Well, it's because he, he's like okay with sin. He hangs out with sinners. And so he asked this question, teacher, what does someone have to do in order to live in heaven forever? And Jesus answers the question with a question. He says, what is written in God's law? What do you see there? And the guy says, well, you got to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's a verse from the Old Testament. And you've got to love your neighbor as yourself. Another verse in the Old Testament. And Jesus says to him, good answer. Do this and you'll live forever. Now, let's pick it up in verse 29. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? It's kind of like, just who is my neighbor then? If I was supposed to love my neighbor as myself, who is it? Now, do you see what this lawyer is wanting to do? He wants to narrowly define his responsibility to love. 
He's trying to minimize his responsibility. He's looking for a loophole. Just how do you define neighbor? What he really wants to know is who do I not have to love? Surely the Romans and the tax collectors and those half-breed Samaritans, they're not included in the term neighbor. Just tell me who my neighbor is, teacher, so that I don't have to waste my time or money on anybody that's not my neighbor. So the question, who is my neighbor, is really a question to limit his love. Now, let's not be too hard on that guy, right? Because we do it too. We do it too. Our young adult pastor here is Josh Stone, and he says that we all have our inner lawyer who tries to excuse us so we don't have to love the people that we don't want to love. You know, well, they're too old or they're too young or they're married or they're single or they're too white or too black or too conservative or too liberal. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. I'm too young or too old or too busy. I'm already doing enough. I don't really have anything to offer. So this inner lawyer is always trying to justify why we should not take Jesus all that seriously. And what Jesus wants to do is to expose the idols in our hearts. What we want in our culture I mean, we're Westerners, Americans, we want convenience, we want security, we want safety, we want affluence, and I'm going to relate mostly to people that can provide me with that, or at least are not going to subtract that from me. Jesus forces the issue, so he says, I'm not going to answer your question, who's my neighbor? Instead, let me tell you a story about a person who actually acts like a good neighbor. I mean, Jesus wants to put it right back on us and on this lawyer. Hey, the issue is not who's your neighbor. The issue is, are you a neighbor? Be a neighbor. Be someone's unexpected hero. Look at verse 30. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. This is a 17-mile journey from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's pretty much downhill, a lot of twists and turns, a lot of ravines, a lot of valleys, a lot of rocks, good places for robbers to hide. And so the thieves take this man's possessions and they beat him up and leave him dead. He's completely helpless. He's not going to make it to Jericho on his own. Verse 31. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now who's the priest? Well, the priest is, of course, leading people in worship. The priest is somebody who handles all of the sacrifices. In other words, the priest is a guy that's on staff at the church, right? And what does he do? Passes by. Verse 32. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now, this is a descendant of a guy named Levi, and they also had duties in the temple. Uh, He's a little bit more behind the scenes. He's a guy that helps the priest with the worship and the care of the temple. So both of these guys are like on staff. Both these guys are spiritual leaders. And both these guys you would expect to help, but they both pass by. Uh, If you are here last week, you might remember the the three-foot rule. When somebody is within three feet of you, you realize that God has them there for a reason. And you're supposed to help. Well, maybe these guys knew about the three-foot rule, so... They go, you know what, I'm not going to get within three feet, six inches of that guy. I'm going to walk on the other side of the street. They want to make sure that they're they're just not going to get involved. So what are they doing passing by this wounded man? And I'm I'm guessing that they probably had some really good excuses. 
you know, maybe they're on a mission trip. Maybe they have some business to take care of. Maybe they're heading home to see a family. Maybe it's Mother's Day and I got to get to the family cookout. I don't know. But for whatever reason, they decide they're not going. Now, as I read this story, I had to step back and ask myself some questions. How have I passed by hurting people? I mean, do I sometimes pass by because I'm too busy working on a message to give to CBC? Am I too busy at church? Am I going to too many church meetings? You know, am I willing to go on an overseas mission trip to Indonesia, but, you know, not willing to really help somebody that lives across the street? It's almost like I could hear the Lord saying to me, refuse to use your busyness as an excuse. It's so easy for us to drift away from our mission. I mean, studies show that within two to three years, new believers replace all of their non-Christian friends with Christian friends, and they're in two or three Bible studies, they're serving in a church, they're saying, well, I'm trying to be holy, I'm trying to live like Jesus, but they've forgotten to do unexpected, radical acts of kindness for people that are far from God. That's not okay. Now, remember, Jesus makes up this story, right? Why did he choose to make the bad guys, the priest and the Levite? You know, if he were making up the story today, what might he say? You know, the bad guy might be the pastor and, and, and the worship leader. You know, that, that, those would be the bad guys. This is a warning for spiritual leaders. And really, it's a warning for all of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, that we can be so caught up in the machinery of ministry that we don't see wounded people, or worse, we walk around them. Verse 33, But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, the wounded man was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So who's the hero here? It's an unexpected hero. The hero is a, a Samaritan. And, and, and that is genius on Jesus' part. I mean, you've got to understand something. The Jewish people, the priest, the Levite, the lawyer, hate the Samaritans. Samaritans are looked down on. They were not considered racially pure. They were seen as half-breeds. They were publicly condemned in the churches of the day, the synagogues, as heretics. Some Jews even prayed that God would not grant to the Samaritans eternal life. No love between the Samaritans and the Jews. Now, where'd they come from? Well, in the ancient world, the, um, the foreign enemy came, the Assyrians, and defeated Israel, and they carried off the leading officials and prominent families and key leaders. And then they imported people from Assyria to come and take their place. So the Assyrians and the remaining Jewish people started marrying one another, and their children and grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren were called Samaritans. Samaritans. They were considered half-breeds by pure-blooded Jews. And then the purity of their faith started to get compromised. The Samaritans built their own place of worship. And they began to worship God differently. And so the Jews came and destroyed the Samaritan temple. And the Samaritans wanted some payback. So they came and desecrated the Jewish temple by putting human bones in there. So these are hated people. And Jesus here is making the Samaritan the unexpected hero. It's like he's making a Steelers fan the hero of the story. 
or a Michigan Wolverine, the hero of the story. I mean, he could have had a Jew helping a Samaritan, right? And that would have made a powerful point, but he turns it. Two pillars of the Jewish religious establishment were the non-neighbors, and the Samaritan is the true neighbor. And that's just radical. See, when Jesus tells this story, his listeners would be thinking, Samaritans are bad. Jesus says, no, no, no. This is a good Samaritan. Now, if you think about it, what's the implication? The neighbor that you are supposed to serve is the one you naturally would love to hate. You with me? Don't just love the neighbor that's like you. Maybe you are in a neighborhood to serve the neighbor that you're least likely to like. The one that stiff arms you. I, I, I love this story. This, this is from you guys this week. I just want you to know the effect of the current series, The Lifehouse, has in our lives. When I first heard about the new series, I thought, someone needs to understand reality. My neighbor is the son of a very rich man in the Cleveland Clinic. My neighbor doesn't really work, smokes pot all day, is an extremely paranoid. He has a wife, two screaming kids, and three barking uncontrolled dogs. I don't know who scratches his... <clears throat> I won't say it. I, I don't know who scratches his whatever for him, but I know he doesn't. <laughs> so you can imagine what his yard and house look like. He calls his cops on me if I use the snowblower or lawnmower before 9 a.m. So we have not been speaking because of the threats he makes when I do try. I could go on and on. Because of the new series, I knew I had to say I tried. I started praying about it. The more I prayed, the more I wanted to pray. Last Saturday, God gave me an opportunity as I was in my front yard, and he says, the evil one, <laughs> the evil one, <laughs> I hope he's not here. <laughs> Do you have two screaming kids and three uncontrolled barking dogs? Um, anyway, the evil one, my neighbor, pulled into his driveway. With God's grace and all my strength, I went over to him and asked him, could we put everything behind us, start over, and just get along? Well, God melted him in my hands. He told me how sorry he was for all the things he had done and wanted to try to do better. That's all I remember him saying because I was saying, thank you, Jesus, so loudly in my mind. That I could not hear a thing he said after that. Boy, oh boy, the devil can't be happy about this one. Let's keep praying. That's awesome, isn't it? <laughs> That's cool. See, the lawyer says, who's my neighbor? And Jesus basically says, anybody God puts in your path, anyone of any race, any age, any social standing, any life stage, any religion, and especially maybe the ones that you would love if the earth just opened up and swallowed them. That's who you're supposed to love. Because the issue is not who's your neighbor. The issue is, are you a neighbor? Verse 36, Jesus finishes it up. He says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. I want to share with you three characteristics of unexpected heroes. Here's the first one. Unexpected heroes have, have eyes that see. <laughs> eyes that see. Do you have eyes that see? They have open eyes. And this comes from verse 33. A Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he saw him. Do you see the people that are wounded and hurting? 
I mean, do you ever ask the question, I wonder how my neighbors have been stripped and beaten and abandoned? I mean, kind of like, where are they like half dead? Where do they need new life? You get the idea here? Because every neighbor you have is hurting in some way. And are you willing to just stop and see it? One reason we never become unexpected heroes is because our eyes are not open enough. We're not observant. I mean, we're focused on our own issues, our own objectives, that we miss the opportunities that God gives us all the time. We, we don't have much margin in our lives. We're rushing to the next thing, the next job, the next appointment, the next business lunch, the next coffee, the next ball game, the next Taekwondo session for our kids, the next Bible study, the next fill in the blank. We, in some cases, it's not that we actually close our eyes and walk around the need. It's just we don't see it. We're not observant. The pace of life's too fast. So what are we supposed to do? Some of us just need to eliminate some of the stress and busyness of our lives. We need to do more by doing less. So what could you eliminate from your life to create more margin? What do you need to say no to so you can say yes to being an unexpected hero for somebody that's broken and battered and bruised? Are you so focused on the next thing for you to do? that you can't see God's best thing for you to do. It starts right here. It starts with awareness. It starts with seeing beyond yourself. It starts with not being myopic and self-absorbed. It starts with seeing the needs of others. So open your eyes. Another story, our backyard neighbor was one we really did not see much. We often found unique things happening at the back of our property. I'm sure there's a story there. After a conversation last week with her, finally after seven years, we were able to serve her by cutting down some half-dead trees around her new fence. She was going to pay over $200 for this work that we just did for her. After some discussion, we found out that her husband had been struggling with dementia over the last several years and has just passed away two months ago. God gave us a piece about just doing what she wished with the back of the property. It's not what we would have done since it really didn't bother us at the time, but we knew this was God's plan. And I wonder what he has, what else he has in store. Seven years, not seen, but just taking some initiative with this Lifehouse thing, and all of a sudden I began to see some things that I didn't see before. The unexpected hero has eyes that see and then has a heart that helps. A heart that helps. A heart that helps. When, when he saw him, it says in verse 33, he had compassion. This word in the Greek language for has compassion really means guts. The Samaritan had like a gut feeling for this guy. And that's why he stopped to hell. Love is in the Samaritan's heart. It's why the good Samaritan broke through a racial barrier. See, when God measures the greatness of a person, He puts the tape measure not around your head, not around your wallet, but around your heart. Another story. Hi, Rick. I visited three neighbors today. My husband is having a grass-cutting feud with one neighbor. I, I, there's a theme going on here today. <laughs> I mean, I, I think this church, God's put us in war zones for neighborhoods, right? Something's crazy going on. My husband's having a grass-cutting feud with one neighbor. I gave them some mini cupcakes and asked, could I help resolve this issue? She also is a follower of Christ, and after some discussion, I asked her if she would just give my husband some grace on this. 
And she said she didn't know he was that upset. Then I went across the street where two elderly people live. I introduced myself and gave them some cupcakes. He seemed astonished that I came over. I asked if there was anything I could pray for, and he teared up and said, yes, his female companion is struggling with legal blindness and lupus. He's struggling with being her only caregiver. Please pray for my neighbors. I told them to ask if they need anything. Lastly, I I visited neighbors that my husband has not always gotten along with. I I gave them cupcakes, and they invited me in to talk. I told them how our church is doing life houses and that I was trying to touch base with my neighbors. They agreed that people no longer know who lives next door. They didn't have any prayer requests, but I promised to drop a bag of frozen walleye off the next time I'm walking by. Come by my house. Um, I'm trying to break down a fence with them. I was so blessed today by stepping out of my comfort zone. (laughs) I mean, do do you have a a heart that cares. And, and maybe just a little way for you to show that you have a heart that cares is just make some mini cupcakes and take them across the street. <laughs> Eyes that see, hearts that care, and then hands that serve. Hands that serve. I mean, do you understand this story? Here's what happens. He binds up the guy's wounds, right? Hands that serve. He pours on oil and wine. That's medicinal. Hands that serve. Then he sets him on his own animal, hands that serve. He brings him to an end and he takes care of him, hands that serve. And, th- and then he says, hey, if you don't have enough money to finish this job, caring for this guy, then uh, I'll, I'll pay you back. See, he understands something, caring costs. The unexpected hero of this story gives of his own resources freely. And, and we often say around here, you got more than you need. Why do you have more than you need to help people in need? And maybe the person you're supposed to help is two doors down. How are you going to do that? Eyes that see, hearts that care, and hands that serve. Now, you know who does this well, right? Moms do this well. Because <laughs> they have eyes to see, and hearts that care, and hands that serve. So thank you, moms, for being that. But now, take it next door. Take it across the street. See, because Jesus won't let the lawyer or us skirt the real issue. He wants the lawyer and us to see what kind of person he is and we are. The problem of the lawyer is not his definition of a neighbor. His problem, the problem of every person is to just become the kind of person who has compassion and who cannot pass by on the other side. He wants to expose this lawyer's heart and he wants to expose our hearts. He says, you think you have your ticket punched to go to heaven because you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and you love your neighbor as you love yourself? No, you don't do either one of those very well because you're trying to limit your love and you need a new heart. So do we. By nature, we're not good neighbors. We use our life circumstances to excuse ourselves from loving. We have this list of reasons why some people don't deserve our love. And what this story does, if you will let it, it will expose your heart. Our young adult pastor, Josh Stone, says this, I think the primary reason Jesus gave us this parable is not to expand our understanding of loving our neighbor, which we already know, Rather, to expose our own hearts so that we can look and pray more for the heart of God. I mean, in spite of the fact that you don't like what I do with my grass clippings, (laughs) in spite of the fact that you don't 
agree with the way we're taking care of the back of our property, in spite of the fact that you've got two barking dogs and three uncontrolled children, I'm going to have open eyes, and I'm going to have an open heart, and I'm going to have open hands for you. That's an unexpected hero. And when we begin to live that way, the world will sit up and take notice. Jesus finishes this story by looking this lawyer right in the eyes and saying, you go and do likewise. You go and do likewise. That, that means you. That means me. When, when you see a neighbor hurting and wounded, get it done. I mean, justifying why you can't is not optional. Rationalizing and excusing, he says, no, 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 can't. You go and do likewise. Don't send somebody else. You go. Now, we can't do everything all the time for everyone. Even Jesus didn't meet everyone's needs. And if you're going to be like Jesus, you're going to have to carve out some time in your life where you're going to be alone with God and you'll have to find time to rest and you better make time for your spouse and your children if you're married and you have kids. Don't sacrifice your family on the altar of ministry. And the Bible clearly says that you need to take a Sabbath for rest and personal restoration. Healthy rhythms of life are biblical and godly and holy. But you better not bow down to the idol of personal peace and convenience and selfishly shift the responsibility away from you. He's not asking you to do everything, but he is asking you to do something. So his command to that lawyer is echoing down through the centuries to you and to me, you go and do likewise. He's calling that man and he's calling all of us to be compassionate and merciful. Are you willing to have your schedule interrupted? Will you give money away to help a stranger or a neighbor? This is what proves that you have new life in Christ. This is what proves that you're merciful. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. This is what proves that you're headed to heaven. You, you want to know who's going to go to heaven? It's people whose hearts have been radically changed by God. So that they're living not a normal life, but they're living a supernatural life. They're doing the unexpected. I am someone's unexpected hero. That's what proves that you have eternal life. Not you just saying you love God and you love your neighbor. So take a risk. Step out. Try something unusual. See, you know that you're on a mission with God when you, when you have to say, God... <clears throat> Here I go. I'm going to talk to that neighbor that has the uncontrollable kids and the barking dogs. He doesn't like me. I don't like him. But here I go. And God, if you don't show up, I'm in trouble. I mean, that's when you know something cool's happening. When you get out there and you're saying, God, here I go. If you don't show up, something bad's going to happen. See, God's asking us to do things that we don't naturally want to do. Now, after walking through this story of the Good Samaritan, I wonder if you can think of anyone that fully fits it. Who is the ultimate unexpected hero? I mean, who is it has eyes that see and a heart that cares, hands that serve? Who is it? Answer? Jesus. <laughs> the only one that lived this perfectly is Jesus. See, we are all the broken, helpless, robbed man. Wounded by the world, beaten by the enemy, stripped by sin, dead in our trespasses and sins. That's us. So there's a sense in which we're all the victim. 
Every one of us has been passed by. Friends and family members and coaches and teachers and co-workers and even spiritual leaders have left us alone and abandoned. But there is an unexpected hero. There is one who sees and cares and helps. And he has said to each of us, you matter to me. He stopped. And he picked you up. And he paid for you. He took upon himself all of your liabilities. And on the cross, he paid for your salvation in full. Jesus didn't overlook us. He didn't pass us by. He had open Eyes and an open heart and open hands. Now, this is our fuel for being an unexpected hero to someone else. We look to Jesus. And I've said many times here, he's our pattern, and he's our pardon, and he is our power. I mean, through his life, he's our pattern. He's our example. He shows us what a good Samaritan's life looks like. This is a life that gives up comforts. This is a life that gives up convenience to serve the people that are hurting and abandoned. That's Jesus. His life is like that. And then by his death, he's our pardon. Because he forgives us for all of our past rationalizing and justifying and passing by. Because we've all done it. We all haven't been the good neighbor. But he died on a cross to forgive us, to pardon us. He's he's our pattern, he's our partner, he's our power. By his resurrection and the new life he gives us, he enables us to be unexpected heroes to our neighbors. Now what he says is, if you will enter into a relationship with me, don't just be religious, trying to keep the rules and the do's and don'ts, but enter into a real relationship with me, and you abide in me, and you have a close connection to me, then you know what I will do? I will change your heart. So that you don't even want to pass by the hurting person. You don't even want to go to the other side of the road. Jesus will change us. And he is asking us to do for others what he has done for us. And once you've been touched with that kind of love. Once you see that he's your unexpected hero. Then you're going to give it away. You go, he says. And do likewise. So here's the takeaway for today. Be your neighbor's unexpected hero. Will you do that? Will you stay so close to Christ that you can actually do it? And some of you have come in here and you're going, you know what, I'm the one that's wounded and hurting and I need salvation. So today I'm asking Jesus to be my unexpected hero. I just want to read about it or hear about it. I need it. And in your program, there is a prayer that you can pray. It's on the screen here. And you could check this box, and we would love to help you grow in a walk with Christ. Dear Heavenly Father, I need rescuing. I realize that I'm a sinner and need your forgiveness. I know I don't deserve your mercy, but I believe you died on that cross to pay for my sins. You rose again, and I'm going to receive you as my unexpected hero. Rescue me so I can rescue others. If that prayer is a, is a, is a desire of your heart, then, then pray it. Check the box. We'd love to help you grow. Maybe some of you... I'm just going to ask God to more and more open my eyes and my heart and my hands so I can be an unexpected hero. And a lot of us, you know, you got this booklet. Come on. But you haven't used it. You don't even know where it is anymore, right? Pick one up. Open it up and begin to use it and prepare yourself for some great ministry opportunities, especially coming up in just a couple of weeks on Memorial Day weekend. Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity you've given us to 
Think about this story that you made up that just exposes us. Oh God, in the name of Christ, I pray that you would make us like Jesus. Give us open eyes, open hearts, and open hands. Give us grace to be an unexpected hero to somebody that needs it. For we pray in Jesus' name.